Well, we are in a series entitled Jonah, and the subtitle of the book is Get Up and Go. And basically, this series is about the church uh, getting up and going where God is sending it. And so, uh, on the one hand, the story of Jonah is a picture of the great commission that the Lord has placed upon every one of us to go into the world. We have all been appointed and anointed by Jesus for a great work. Amen. Now, on the other hand, the book of Jonah is also a picture of how reluctant, and I would even say sometimes rebellious, we can become in not going where God is wanting to send us. Amen. The amen's largely decreased on that point. And usually that has a lot to do with our own heart issues. God said to Jonah, go. Jonah said to God, no, I'm not doing it. Shut up, lady. Sorry, I got this lady trying to talk to me up here. She's not real, so I can tell her to shut up. So anyway, uh, We've been in this book, and Jonah ran in the opposite direction that God had told him to go. And he wound up in the middle of a storm, which landed him in the belly of a great fish. And it was in this deep, dark pit, as Jonah called it, that uh, he finally cried out to God and kind of repented of what he had been doing. And then God caused the fish to vomit him onto dry land right in the direction of Nineveh, which is where he called him to go. And that's where we're going to pick up today. I want to read uh, chapter 2, verse 10, and I'm going to read all of chapter 3. It's only 10 verses. And so I want us to look at this together, because this is kind of the, the crux of the matter. This is what God was calling him to. And so it says in chapter 2, verse 10, So the Lord spoke to the fish, And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, or Nineveh shall perish, or Nineveh shall be destroyed. In forty days, Nineveh is through. That was his message, okay? And then it goes on in verse 5. It says, So the people of Nineveh believed God. Look at that. They believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, then, the, uh, then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout all of Nineveh by a decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry out mightily to God. Yes, uh, to cry out mightily to God. Yes, let every 
one turn from his evil way and from the violence of his own hands? Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And then in verse 10 it says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring on them, and he did not do it. Amen. So that's the reading of the word today. My title today is The Next Great Awakening. I want to talk to you about The Next Great Awakening. So Lord, we love you so much and thank you for the book of Jonah. God, it stands as a reminder of who, who you are, what you've called us to be, and God, that you have not changed your mind about that. And I pray today, God, that you will direct our understanding, our growing in the word today. Holy Spirit, anoint me and anoint every one of us here to receive your word today in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, man, you look better now than when I first saw you this morning. Go ahead and tell them that. What we read here today in this passage in the book of Jonah is one of the greatest spiritual awakenings in recorded history. We know that there were about 120,000 people that were crammed into this city called Nineveh who God said did not know their right hand from their left hand. In other words, that's a way of saying God says these people are morally deplete and spiritually bankrupt. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know what's right. All they know how to do is wrong. They don't know how to live right. They don't know that I'm right. And so this was the condition of this city. But eventually Jonah went into the city of Nineveh preaching the word of the Lord. The people responded, and I want you to note what they, they, they weren't just responding to a negative message by a man and they were responding out of superstition. The Bible said they believed God, repented, fasted, sought the face of God. God relented from his judgment. He forgave their sin, and it was a great awakening. And I don't know how long it lasted, but we know that from this judgment, that God pronounced upon them to their repenting to the next judgment. There was, another, there was another prophet that went. His name was Nahum. And it was about 150 years later. And that time, they didn't respond to the judgment in a positive way. And they were eventually destroyed. Which shows you how far a nation can go down in 150 years or 200 years Come on, can I get a good amen out there? And so this was an awakening. Now, depending on who you talk to, what historians or what books you're reading, there have been, and I believe there have been, about four great awakenings in our nation in the United States of America. The first was in the middle 1700s. If you've heard of people like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, these were the kinds of people that were... Uh, kind of spearheaded this great awakening where uh, right up there in the kind of the farthest northeast part of our nation, there was a, just an, 
uh, revival that broke out that spilled out into the culture and they believed that over uh, just a handful of years that 50,000 people came into the kingdom of God and it had a ripple effect throughout the then known world of the United States. Then there was a second great awakening that happened kind of in the uh, middle uh, years of the 1800s which is where we saw a lot of denominations begin to form some of the what we call mainline denominations when they first started out they were not mainline they were full of the fire and the power of the holy spirit and they didn't lo- what what they have become today isn't how they started in other words and so that was the second great awakening and then there was a third great awakening in the later part of the 1800s moving over into the 1900s and this is where the missionary movement began to burst out of the United States and missionaries would go all over the world. Sunday school was developed. The YMCA came into existence. The Salvation Army, which became a powerful force in those days in the inner city, was raised up. And even into the 1900s, there was this Pentecostal outpouring. And the uh, Pentecostal denominations came into existence in that third great awakening. And then the fourth great awakening that came upon uh, in the United States is, is what we call the charismatic renewal awakening. It happened in the 60s and 70s where we saw not only uh, kind of God pouring out His Spirit in churches that were not Spirit-filled, but we also saw a generation of what they called hippies <laughs> just flocking to the Lord And in the 60s and 70s, there was a rise in the church of, I remember it, I was just a little kid, and we see kids, we would see these young people come in with no shoes and t-shirts and jeans, and they started loving Jesus and worshiping the Lord, and how many of you know God doesn't need to get anybody's permission? When He wants to move, He can move, and He doesn't ask church leaders permission to do it. Woo, come on now. And so God just, it was an awakening, it was a stirring, and the ripple effect that took place, and, the, and the, what, I would, what I believe came out of that, one of the main things that came out of that was kind of this uh, refreshing worship unto the Lord where music was changed, and the way we approached, we weren't just singing about God, but we started singing to God. And I think both sides of that are good, but it's good that you can sing a song to the Lord. Amen. And that came out of that awakening and that renewal. And so the spiritual awakenings that we're talking about, they are a sovereign move of God, but they are very often linked to this idea. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I'll not only revive my people, but what happens in my people will spill out onto the society and onto the culture and people who are dead and lost and asleep spiritually will be awakened. Woo, come on now. Amen. That's the last time I'll do my woo. Maybe. Who knows? Let me tell you something. Where God has a holy remnant of people, he is ready to move with great power. And awakenings may start in the church, but they are not supposed to stay in the church. 
And uh, when God begins to move in power, the church is mobilized and the lost are evangelized and praise God, the world is revolutionized. And when I say by the world, I mean a segment of society, Butte, Montana, uh, Montana, the United States of America, swaths of land, places, peoples are touched and transformed and God can do it again. If he did it in Nineveh, he can do it now. If he did it in the 60s and 70s, he can do it now. Amen. But listen, God can bring a Nineveh-like awakening, but he can't do it, and he won't do it without a Jonah-like people. And I'm not talking about the running Jonah. I'm talking about the revived Jonah. Because when he got in the belly of the well, he got revival. When he, was, he, when he had nowhere to look but up, all of a sudden, all that mattered was who was up. And when he got this right, then he went in and he began to have an impact all around him. And that's what God is calling every one of us to do. Get up and go. Stop whining and complaining about the way things have, how far things have fallen. And you stand up and you get going. Amen. Amen. I'm not mad. I just get serious about what I'm saying. And I scowl when I do it. Amen. So in this passage, we see some things. I think these are key components of how to be a part of the next great awakening. How many believe we're, we're due for a great awakening? I mean, have you looked around here? We're due. We're way overdue. But if we want to see it, we need to, get, we need to start becoming the tip of the spear in it. Amen. So how do we do that? Well, out of this passage, there are just some simple ideas that I want to pull out. And maybe, in, hopefully, this encourages us today. Number one, if we're going to be a part of the next great move, every one of us need to listen carefully to what God is saying to us. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And every time we read that, we thank God that he's a God of the second chances. How many of you thank God that he is a God who gives another chance, right? But listen, that isn't just what that verse is saying. When God speaks it again, he's saying, what I said the first time, I'm telling you, I mean what I say. And I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. And I'm not changing my word. I'm not changing my commission. I'm not changing my plan. This is plan A. There is no plan B. Get up and go to Nineveh. Get up and get into the world. Get up and get out there into your culture. This has always been my plan. This is my word. I haven't changed my word, but I need you to listen to what I'm saying. Because in chapter 1, Jonah heard the word of God, but he wasn't listening to the word of God because he went up and went the other way. In chapter 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Get up and go to Nineveh. And here's how verse 3 says, but, everybody say but. See, that's your problem. Your buts are your problem. But Jonah got up and went to Tarshish. But in chapter 3, God said, get up and go to Nineveh. And in chapter 3, verse 3, it says, so. Everybody say so. 
So Jonah went, you know, you got to stop butting God because you're going to lose. Amen. See, the, the problem with Jonah is that he was hearing God in his head, but not listening to him with his heart. We've got to change our ways, church. God is talking. Jesus said, I went through and I counted it again according to my translation and the concordance that I looked at. 17 separate times, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. What is Jesus trying to teach us? Listen, you can hear me because my sheep know my voice. And I want you, if you can hear me, if you got ears, if you got a heart, if you got a pulse, Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to me. Amen. And so, there is a danger, though, of not listening to God. And the danger is that we will drift away from the call of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Because Jonah didn't listen to God, he ended up adrift, literally, at sea, and was swallowed up in the middle of a nightmare. Because he wasn't listening to what God was saying to him to do in his time. Amen. Listen, careful listening to the Lord is essential to becoming God's vessel. You want God to use you. You want God to work through you. Then hear what God is saying and do what God is saying. Hear him. Listen to him. Uh, The other day, Isaac in our staff meeting brought up this story in Acts chapter 8. And I I think it's a great little story. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's in Acts chapter 8. It's about a man who was a leader in the church. He was not a he was not a pastor of a church. He was not called one of the apostles. He was, he was a person who served in the local assembly. He served tables. He literally ministered to people's needs. That's how he began in the ministry at the church. But we find him a little bit later on. Now he's left Jerusalem and he's in this little place called Samaria, which is where Jews didn't want to be. But God obviously brought him to that city of Samaria and through his ministry and through him reaching out to those people, the city of Samaria was awakened to the gospel. And the Bible says that many, the whole city, the joy of the Lord filled the whole city. Many were coming to Christ. Many were delivered of demonic oppression. Many were healed. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit because of this one man, Philip, who found himself where God was moving and a, and a culture of people were being awakened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the, here's the rest of the story. One day he wakes up in the middle of this revival and an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God, came to him and said, Philip, get up and take this road and go south. And the Bible said, Philip heeded the word of the Lord through the messenger of the Lord And just started walking south. And when he got to a certain point, the Holy Spirit came to him and said, Philip, see that chariot? Go chariot jack that thing. Go overtake that chariot. 
And when he got over there, he found that there was an Ethiopian man who was a, an official in, for uh, the nation of Ethiopia who was reading out of the book of Isaiah and began to talk to him and essentially won him to the Lord. This guy gets saved, he gets baptized in water, and he's off to Ethiopia with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Because one man heard the voice of the Lord. God said, Philip, I've been doing a good work in Samaria, but i got other good work that I want to do too. And he spoke to Philip, and Philip responded to the voice of the Lord. Now, the question is, what's God been telling you to do? This is, where, this is where it matters, church. What has God been saying to you for the times that we live in? Are you, and, and listen, are you willing to leave the comfort of what God is doing to get into the uncomfortable place of what God wants to do? Because herein lies, I think, the problem, if I could say it, I don't want to be negative, but the problem in the church is we get comfortable in what God is doing. And the Lord's like, man, there's more of that. There's more where that came from. Amen. But we get locked in, and you know why? Because we're not listening. Amen. Are we doing all right? So here we go. Want to be a part of the next great awakening? Every one of us here, like Jonah, have got to start listening very carefully to what God is saying to us. The second thing, it's not rocket science. We need to obey immediately. <laughs> the first time, Jonah did not obey, and you see where that got him. And some of you are like, I don't know, I feel like I'm in such a pit. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> Amen. Obey. So listen, when you hear God clearly and you get God's direction and you hear God say, take this road, go to this place, minister to these kids, serve that person, get involved in this ministry, take that job and this door will open to you for other things down the road. When you start listening to God, the next logical move is to do it. That's the bottom line. To obey what God says. Verse 3, chapter 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Just like God told him, he did it. He obeyed. Back in verse 2, the Lord had told him. Now, when you get there, I'm going to tell you what to say to them. I love that. Go to Nineveh and proclaim to them the word, the message that I give you. So the inference is, He's not in Nineveh, and he hasn't heard yet what God wants him to say. But what does he do? He goes. See, that's the key to obedience, is that you go before all your ducks are in a row. Amen. Now, I'm preaching at myself right now. I'm the kind of guy that want all my ducks in a row. 
I want this and I want that. I want the resources and I want the finances and I want this person in place and I want to make sure, and then I want to talk to like 500 people and get their idea of what's right. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about? God said, go to Nineveh and I'll tell you what you're going to say. And he goes. And it's when he gets there, he gets the word. So here we go. God is not the author of confusion, but neither does he have to have everything in the order that you think it should be in before you obey. Sometimes you just have to step out of the boat and see if the water can stay under your feet. You have to just kind of get out. Amen. You have to kind of go where God leads you. Because remember, the Lord has promised that he uses the weak of this world to confound the wise. That's his promise. I don't need you to be strong. I don't need you to have this figure uh, perfectly figured out. I don't need you to try to, you know, kind of get in high places and influence the right kind of people to make this thing work. Jonah didn't say, I need to talk to the really influential people in the community before I really launch out. And No, he didn't do that. He just did what God told him to do. And when he got there, he got what God wanted him to have. Amen. If God called you to it, he'll provide you for it. Amen. So remember Philip? Again, we see this in Philip. Philip was told to go south. Remember? He just he heard an angel said, "Just Philip, just get up and go south. He didn't know where he was going. But when he got there, wherever that was, then the Holy Spirit said, that guy in that chariot. And he went over there. He didn't know how long it would take. He didn't know the destination of where he was going. He just heard the voice of the Lord and he obeyed. And it was in his obedience that things opened up. You want things to open up? Just start doing what God has told you to do. What if, what if, I know, you got to stop. You got you to knock it off. I'm talking to myself. It's bouncing off of me and hitting you. Here's, here's, a, here's a really encouraging word. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? Lord, and you don't do the things which I say? In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, hey, if I'm really your Lord, do what I tell you to do. Just do it. Stop debating it. Stop regretting it. Stop fussing with me over it. Stop trying to ignore that this, is, this isn't me talking to you. If I've said something to you, then do it. Can I just say that God may tell you to do some outlandish thing that doesn't fit your gift mix. Can I say that again? God may tell you to do something that is completely out of your wheelhouse and it doesn't fit your gift mix. Now, I believe in giftings. I believe in 
personality types. I like doing all those studies on what's my gift, what's my gift. But what's, what is the problem? There, there is a slight little problem in that pursuit, and that is that we get our gift all in a box, and then we hold it right here, and then people or ideas or thoughts come, and we're like, nope, that doesn't fit in my gift box. Nope, just, nope, oh, I'm sorry, no room. This is my gift, this is what I do, this is what I don't do. Remember a man by the name of Moses, 80 years old? He came to God, and the Lord said, I got plans. Whoa, no, I got no room for it. I can't talk. You want me to be a leader? You want me to communicate? I can't even talk. And so you know what we end up doing? Claiming our gifts, sitting on our rears. I'm a gifted child of God. Jesus loves me. I'll just sit here until something that really fits me opens up. Say, uh, you, like I said to this lady a moment ago, shut up. Knock it off. Stop talking like that. Amen. Did I offend you? Did I properly offend you? Listen, God wants to do in our time what he did in Nineveh's time. God wants to do in our time what he did in the northeast part of our nation in Jonathan Edwards' time. God wants to do in the here and the now what he did in the mid-1800s when there was a prayer revival breakout in New York City where it is claimed that a hundred, no, I'm sorry, a million people came to Jesus in the span of a two or three year period of time in New York City. Amen. God wants to do it here and now, but he needs the Jonah-like people that got it through their thick heads. Here's how it works. I can't do it without him, but apparently he won't do it without me. Amen. So listen carefully to what God is saying, because he's saying some things. What's he been saying to you? And then when you hear him, next logical step is, oh, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. Right? Obey him. And then the third thing we see in Jonah, and this is where I want to land, the, land this thing, is we need to preach boldly. We need to listen carefully, obey immediately, and preach boldly. Everybody say preach. I am looking to, at a, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I am looking at a room of preachers, proclaimers, testifiers, sharers of the faith, men and women. You don't have to get your uh, papers from a denomination. You got your appointment from Jesus. We need to preach boldly, and that's what Jonah did. I love, 
It says when Jonah went in, he went through that city. It was a great city. It was a, it was a city so large and packed so much full of people. It took three days to get around that city. And this is what he did three days in that city. He went around and he preached. It says in verse 4, Jonah began to enter the city on the first, uh, um, on the first day's walk. Then he cried out. Everybody say he cried out. He cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> that is his message. Eight words. In 40 days, it's over. How encouraging. How encouraging. How inspiring. But you know, this is what God told him to say. And so he goes into the city and he preaches with boldness in the streets of Nineveh. You got 40 days, folks. And it's over here. This Jew, be like you and me being called to Los Angeles. We get to walk through the streets of Hollywood. You got 40 days. Amen. And it's over. And he just, he preached boldly. He proclaimed, he shared, he testified without fear of repercussion. That's what it means to be bold. It's like, I may be shaken in my boots, but I fear God more than I fear you. And so I'm going to do, because remember what Solomon, speaking of Solomon, we talked about this. Solomon said this too in Proverbs 29, 25. He said, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall, shall be safe. The safest place to be is obeying the Lord, even if it puts you in harm's way. Your safe bet is to do what God said, even if it puts you at odds. With everyone around you. Amen. And so when we're talking about preaching boldly, here's what we mean. We need to preach with a sense of urgency. It says that Jonah walked the streets and he cried out the message that God gave him. It was an urgent message. These people needed to know that their days were numbered. The time was short. It wasn't looking good for them. And so he carried this urgent message, the Word of God, saying to them, time is running out. Church, we have a very similar message. Our days are numbered. And we have to start catching the fire and the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who when he rode into Jerusalem, he was overcome with compassion for a city that was rejecting him and had rejected God, and it moved him to tears. And I wonder where our urgency is. We need to get urgent because we have an urgent message. You know what? The, here, I'll give it to you. It's the most beautiful message. It's in, there's something in it, though. But it's enveloped in some beautiful words. We love it. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not what? Perish. In other words, if you don't believe, you perish. 
But the good part of it is, the good news in it, God loves you so much that He gave His Son. If you believe in Him, you will not perish. But perish is a reality. And He said, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. I love this. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but the world that the world through Him might be saved. This world, th- listen, this is the urgency of the message. People are not saved. People are perishing. Anyone who is without Jesus is perishing. Anyone who has rejected the message of Christ who died on the cross for our sins because we are sinners, we are all sinners, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God, I don't care how good you think you are. Without Jesus, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And you need to be saved from your sin, forgiven of your sin, made alive in Jesus Christ. Today. Now. This is the urgency of the message. It doesn't matter how you identify. It matters who you know. Some, most, most people in the United States of America would identify as being a Christian because their mom was Methodist and their dad was Baptist. And, you know, and, and so they identify. Most people identify themselves with the Christian faith. Let me tell you something. That doesn't mean most people in America are Christians. It's not about how you identify. It's who you know personally upon whom you trust and believe for your for your, this is an urgent message because people need to be saved and people are perishing. And Jesus came to save us from that and to redeem us from that. Some of us, you know, sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, you know we, we, all we really need to do is just let our light shine and hopefully people will see our good loving Jesus and they'll come to faith. And that's all well and good. It's just not biblical. I mean, I'm all for letting your light shine, right? Come on. Amen. I think sometimes we could shine a little bit brighter than we do, by the way. Right? But sometimes we're all about letting our light shine, and we just kind of like, we'll just, you know, well, you know, well, I don't need to really say anything because, you know, I really can't convince anybody anyway. <laughs> Amen. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. He says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody in this room ever called upon the name of the Lord? Aren't you glad he saved you when you called on him? He says, so whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what? Wait, hold it. Don't stop there. Paul says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The room is full of them. Amen. Come on now. This is the way it works. We need to get urgent about this message. Preach it boldly, which means get some urgency in your belly. Get some fire in your belly. Amen. And then... We need to also preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth. 
So help us God. No, we preach the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and God helps them. Amen. I love Jonah. He goes in. God said, when you get there, I'll give you the message. And his message was eight words. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall perish. Thank you, Lord. That's a very encouraging word. You'll win friends and influence people. But you know, when God gives you a word to give, you better give what God gives you to give. Listen, we're not supposed to edit God's word. We don't edit God's message to make it fit, to make people feel comfortable. I'm not out to make people feel uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make people feel bad, but I'm not here to edit God's Word so it fits people a little bit better and, and they like it and it's more acceptable. No, I, I and you and we have to say what God says, and that's it. You don't get to change it. You don't get to readjust it and, and formulate it in your own way. You've just got to say what God said. And inherent in the gospel message, and you know what the gospel means. What's gospel mean? Good news, very good class. It means good news. How many of you know that we carry the good news of Jesus Christ? But listen, think this through. There's good news, which implies there's bad news. <laughs> there's good news by implication There's bad news. Now, we're not here to focus on the bad news, but the bad news is the impetus behind the good news. The good news is that God sent His Son to become our Savior, take upon Himself our sin, to die on a cross for us, because we are all sinners. Every blasted one of us were sinners. But the bad, and that that is the bad news. You're a sinner. (laughs) That's why Jesus came, because you are far from God. And you need a Savior. And see, people, I'm talking to you. This is not how you talk to people on the street. I'm preaching at you in a different way. But, but we need to understand these truths so that I know how, to adjust, how, do I, how do I work this into my life when I'm walking with people and working with people and loving people. It's the good news. But it implies the bad news, and that is that people are far from God, and they need a Savior. And see, we live in a time and in a culture where uh, many people, this is where they cut it short. They're like, you can't say to me that I'm a good person. And I got to tell you, I've heard this not just from people in the streets. I hear this from people in the church. When you try to talk to them about, well, you you know, they're just a good person. Like, well, okay, yeah, okay, that you know, they're good in a neighborly sense. I mean, they're nice, they're kind, they maybe help you take out the garbage, they 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 you know, they say hi to you. I mean, but you know, you can be a good person and still be far from God. You can be a good person, listen, you can even be a gooder person than some Christians we know. But if you're not born again, you're dead. I'm going to blow your mind on this one. This one's going to maybe offend somebody, but the 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 worst Christian is better off than the best sinner. 
the, the worst Christian on his worst day is still better off than the best sinner on his best day. Why? Because it's all about being saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. So some of us Christians, we're ornery and we're, well, some of us are dingbats. <laughs> Nobody here. But they, they do exist just between us. But because they have been washed in the blood and are in right standing with God, even if they're walking in carnality and even if they're not as nice as the lady across the street who hasn't yet known Jesus or even maybe even rejects Jesus but is giving and kind and that person who knows the Lord is right with God and that person who is giving and kind and thoughtful and people by the culture say, a good person. How could God, a loving God, send a good person to hell? He doesn't send anybody. People make choices to go there by rejecting Jesus. I want to read you 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Stop right there. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to eternal life. There's only one way to salvation, and it is through Christ Jesus, not Christ and your good works or your good works, and they were kind of, you know, they, they were Christian. No, no. Were they born again? For there is only there is one God and one mediator between God and man. There's one person that stands between God and broken and lost humanity. His name is Jesus, and he bridged the gap with the cross. And he gave himself, Paul said, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. It's not about your good works. It's about the good work Jesus did on the cross. And that's the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. So help us. Amen. Then we need to also preach for repentance. I love this story. He went through the streets for three days preaching, it's over for you. And it didn't say that these superstitious, paganistic, mindsetted people took on another. No, they, it says they believed God. The king, from all the way down to the least, proclaimed a fast. Stop eating. Take off your nice clothes and wear sackcloth as a sign, as a symbol of brokenness and humility before God. And not only you, but your pets too. Even that cat needs to get saved. Amen. You knew I had to throw that in there, right? Just a little bit. Even cats get saved. And so the whole, the whole lot of them repented. Every one of them. And they turned to God. And you know what this repentance was? And the king said, he said, stop your evil ways. 
See, true repentance, here's what repentance means. We know this, we say this a lot. Repentance means to change the mind. Change the mind. Change your mind about how you think about you in relation to God and who you are and who he is. And that is, you're not all of that. You're, you're a sinner. Even if you're better than the average person, you're still, without Jesus, you're still a sinner. So you got to change your mind about your spiritual standing with the holy and just God and come to terms with the fact that you need a Savior, like all of us do. But you also need to change your mind about who he is and that he is Lord, he is Savior, he died for me. And it doesn't just stop there, but it's also change your mind about your life. Because when you truly repent and turn your heart to Jesus, then your life will change too. Amen. Your life will change too. See, it's not, Christianity is not just making a public or private confession It's committing yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. It's not just making a decision for Jesus. It's becoming a disciple of Jesus. Where you're completely changed. Things I, when I come into the faith in Jesus, things that I used to do, I won't do those things anymore. Not because I'm trying to be legalistic or trying to earn my way to heaven, but because that's the old man. And the Bible said, put off the old man. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul said we got to put off the old man and its deceitful lusts and desires. See, a lot of people want to make a decision for Jesus. They want their get-out-of-hell card, but they don't want the readjustment of their life. And that's involved. Amen. See, this isn't very popular. Even we got a little quieter. And we're, we're all of that in a bag of chips. We need to preach for repentance. One final thought, we need to preach with expectancy. I love this. Chapter 3, verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. I love that. How many of you thank God that he, he does relent? He does relent. Here's what Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says. God says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it, all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I sent it. So God says, you you preach the word, I'll do the work. That's what you got to do. And sometimes when we look at passages like this, we think, you know, well, you said, Tim, that God never changes. And uh, the Lord's, I'm, I'm only saying what the Lord said. He said, uh, he said I am Lord, I do not change. But, uh, but God, he said that the, they were going to be destroyed in 40 days, and then, and then they repented, and then he didn't do it. Well, actually, he was being very true to his word. Wait a minute. No, he's, he wasn't being true to his word. Oh, yes, he was. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 10, it says, this is what the Lord says, If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom 
is to be uprooted and, and torn down and destroyed. And if that nation I warned represents, uh, uh, that w- repents of its evil, i got to learn how to read, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned. Do you see what God, he's being true to his word. He says, I, I can pronounce a judgment, but I can also relent based upon the response of people. Mm. We have to expect it. Come on, church. Can I have somebody? Katie, would you please come? I just want to just say this. Do you know Jesus? First and foremost, I've been talking to us like we're a bunch of preachers, and we are if you know the Lord. But if you don't know the Lord, the very first thing is you need to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. And acknowledge the fact that in sin your mother did conceive you and you were born with a sinful nature. And even though you may be a good person in relation to other people in the world, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, before a holy and just God. All of us have to come to faith in Jesus. Listen, I was born into a Christian home. My dad was a preacher. I was born into a preacher's home. I heard about Jesus all my life. But do you know that I was born a sinner and I had a nature of sin as every time I got spanked, I realized that. And I too had to confess my sin and my need for Jesus. And I too had to come to that reality that I was, even though I was raised under godly good parents, they too were, had been sinners and were saved and were trying to raise up their children to come to know the Lord. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to help us all realize that Jesus did come for a very real reason. And that reason is because we're all lost. And this is not a game. And this is not about your goodness. About his goodness. And he wants, he wants you to come to him. Jesus said, whomsoever will. Let him come and drink of the river of life freely. Hallelujah. He's here today. And if God has called you into something and you're not, you're not sure about it, we could pray with you about that as well. Could you, can we stand right now? And I think we have some people that are going to pray at the altars. And so can I have my prayer teams come? And they're going to be up here today. If you would like to give your heart to Jesus, if you have not yet done that, today would be a good day to give your heart to Jesus and these folks would be willing to pray with you and and if you and I want to really encourage you if you want to if you want to give your heart to the Lord today to really do come forward because Jesus said come unto me come unto me and make this a step of faith like I'm coming to Jesus and yes you're coming to these folks but these these are carriers of the presence of Jesus today and they want to walk you through this door And if you need prayer for anything else, anything else, you are welcome to come. I'm going to pray a dismissal. After that, you're free to go. But if you need prayer, come this way. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your presence. Lord, we do cry out for a a great awakening in our time. God, I pray that you would raise up a, a Jonah generation who is not running away from the call, but running in the call. And God, that we, would, that, that we would hear your voice 
and obey you clear, uh, obey you immediately and preach for you boldly everywhere we go. We love you, Jesus. We honor your name. We ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed.